The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning. I'm Sean Martin. I'm the pastor here at Highlands Church. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning. And you know what? I love Indiana Jones, don't you? (laughs) Indiana Jones, he's what I would call an ironic hero. Thank you. He's an archaeologist, which is not exactly a glamorous profession, right? But he makes it cool. He makes it adventurous. He, he flies planes. He travels the world. He finds treasures. He avoids snakes. He does so many things. And, and it makes me wonder, does anybody here want to have a life that's a little bit more like Indiana Jones? A little more exciting? A little more adventurous? Well, first, if you want that kind of life, it's important to note that in order to have adventure, there is always some sort of risk. You have to risk losing something in order to have adventure. Your comfort, your sense of security, your life as you know it. But on the other side of the coin, adventure also promises to bring something. It promises to bring new avenues, new doors, new opportunities. And so a lot of people, they stand on the edge They stand on the very edge of adventure, and they just, they're not sure if they want to jump in. They're not sure if they want to go. Well, here at Highlands Church, we believe that becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is life's greatest adventure. And we're doing this series, Living the Adventure, and we're asking the question, what are you waiting for? What is holding you back from living that great adventure? It's an adventure that will take members of this church, some of them, to the Dominican Republic this summer. It's an adventure that will take some of you to Zimbabwe this summer. It's an adventure that's taken me all over the world to eight different countries on four different continents. But you don't have to leave this city even in order to live that adventure. That adventure can begin right outside our doors. You can live this adventure when you begin to love your neighbor radically. This adventure begins when you decide, I'm going to start serving other people, no matter the cost. The adventure begins when we read God's word and we say, I'm going to do what it says. And the adventure begins when we say, Lord, I want you to transform me from the inside out and see what happens. So as we're asking this question, what are you waiting for? Two weeks ago, we talked about how many people are waiting for proof. They want proof that God is real before they jump in. Last week, we said some people are waiting for someday. They're waiting for that someday when, when my life is fulfilled or when I have more time or more money. But maybe those aren't the things that you're waiting for. Maybe you're waiting for something different. Maybe you're waiting to feel worthy to join the adventure. Maybe you feel like your life is just too messy. A couple years ago, I attended a birthday party for a friend's son when he turned one year old. 
And it was a great party. There were a ton of people for a one-year-old's birthday. All ages. There were lots of food. Um, games that the kids were playing. It, it was just, it was a blast. But the thing that made this birthday party unique was when it came time for cake. And the dad, my friend, he cuts the biggest piece of cake I've ever seen. It's about this big and about this tall. And he puts it on his son's high chair, on the tray. No plates, no fork, no spoon, nothing. He just set it there. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? This is going to be the biggest sugar rush ever. And his son just, just kind of dives into it. And before you know it, he has blue frosting all over his face, in his hair, in his ears. The cake just becomes mush. And it's, it's spread out all over the tray. And, and he's like pushing it off the sides. And so the dog is coming up. I think the dog ate more than he did. And I just stood back and I looked at this scene and I said, what a mess. So many of us feel like that is what our lives are like, only not so cute. Our lives are just a complete mess. So we don't feel worthy of following Christ. I can relate to something that Mike Iaconelli once wrote in his book, Messy Spirituality. He said, often I dream that I'm tagging along behind Jesus, longing for him to choose me as one of his disciples. Without warning, he turns around looks straight into my eyes and says, follow me. My heart races and I begin to run toward him when he interrupts and says, oh no, not you, the guy behind you. Sorry. I love Mike Iaconelli. He passed away several years ago and the world really misses him. But he was a pastor. He was a guy who started a national ministry organization And yet he was not afraid to say, you know what? My life is not always neat and tidy. My life is not always orderly. And as a pastor, I really appreciate that because my life is not always neat and tidy. My life is not always ordinary. I am far from perfect. And so I appreciate people who can admit, like me, that they're short-tempered sometimes. And they can be self-centered and judgmental. That their life is messy Don't come to church looking for perfect people. You will not find them here. What you will find are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God together. The Bible has no shortage of of messy, imperfect, unworthy people. We could look at any number of passages today, probably hundreds of passages from the Bible. If we were to go to the Old Testament, we could look at people like David and Jacob Rahab and Solomon, and we would find some messy people. If we went to the New Testament, we could look at somebody like Matthew, who was an untrustworthy tax collector who liked to throw parties for sinners when Jesus met him. We know him today as the author of the first book in the New Testament, the book that bears his name, Matthew. Or we could talk about the woman at the well, a woman from Samaria, who had come at a time of day that nobody else she thought would be at this well because she had a reputation. She had been married five times, and the man that she was currently living with was not her husband. That's who she was when Jesus met her. But she became the first missionary to her own people, the Samaritans. And many people followed God because of her testimony. Or we could talk about Paul, a man who was persecuting the church, 
when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And we know Paul today is author of as many as 13 books in the New Testament. We could look at any number of people today, but today I want to look at the leader of the disciples. I want to look at Peter, the man who was part of the inner three circle of disciples who got even more exposure to Jesus and who he was and what he did. He, was, he had an impulsive side. He was always kind of the first to speak. He was the first to act. But even Peter was messy. I want to read a passage for you this morning. And this may very well be the last time that Jesus and Peter were alone together before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he had risen from the dead. And so we're going to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about its significance, and we'll kind of take a step back after we've read it and look back at what happened before. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 21, starting in verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. Then he said to him, follow me. You know, this passage is so rich. I could preach an entire series on this passage alone. We're not going to be able to talk about everything this morning, but I do want to talk a little bit about the circumstances that kind of led to this interaction. Jesus had appeared to the disciples a couple of times after he rose from the dead. But it had been several days or perhaps even several weeks since he'd appeared to them. And so, and so Peter, he said, I don't know what else to do. I'm going out to fish. Maybe he was, he was a fisherman by trade, so maybe he was thinking about going back to what he had always known and what he'd always done. Or maybe that was just the one place that he could clear his mind and think about all that had happened and all that was before him. He had so much that was unresolved within him. And this all happened before this interaction with Jesus that we just read about. So Peter went fishing and he went with six others. They fished all night long and they caught nothing. Sounds a lot like one of my fishing trips. As dawn broke, the disciples noticed, the seven men in this boat, they noticed that there was a man on the shore. And the man called out to them, and he said, Friends, have you caught anything? Do you have any fish? 
they were embarrassed, and, you know, they were commercial fishermen, and here they were, they hadn't caught anything all night, and they said, no, and they didn't think much about this man who was standing on the shore. Little did they know it was Jesus himself speaking to them, now the third time that he'd appeared to them since he rose from the dead. And I love the playfulness of Jesus here. He did this a couple times after he'd risen from the dead where he didn't really reveal his identity. When you picture Jesus, what do you see? Do you see somebody who was always stoic, somebody with a stern impression? Do you see somebody maybe with this far-off, distant gaze and a glowing face? Do you ever picture Jesus smiling? Do you picture him laughing? You know, we were created in God's image. Means that God created us with a sense of humor because God, I believe, has a sense of humor. How else do you uh, explain things like a platypus and other random creatures? I picture Jesus on the shore smiling with this wry little smile, having a little fun with these guys before he reveals who he is. And so he says, you haven't caught anything, huh? Well, why don't you try throwing your nets on the other side of the boat? It was a ridiculous request. These guys knew what they were doing. They'd been fishing all night. There was nothing out there, no fish to be caught. Simply throwing your nets on the other side wouldn't make any difference. But they did it. For some reason, they did it. And when they did, immediately, huge fish started swimming into that net. Later, they counted because they were so amazed. There were 153 large fish that swam into that net, so much that the net should have broken. But for some reason, it didn't. And that's when they began to realize what was going on here. They probably remembered one of their first interactions with Jesus when, when Peter had said, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. And Jesus said, well, put your nets out in deeper water. And they had this miraculous catch of fish. And they began to remember all these things that they'd had. And it was John that spoke up and said, it's the Lord. And so Peter, impulsive as always, put on his outer garments because he didn't want to appear before Jesus half naked. And he dove into the water and he started swimming. And all the other disciples are still on the boat going, dude, we have all these fish that are breaking our nets practically, and we got to haul that into shore, and now you've left us? But that was Peter. He was impulsive. He loved God, and he just wanted to be with Jesus as fast as he could. And so Peter got to the shore, and then everybody else got to the shore, and they found Jesus with a fire of burning coals. And he had some fish on there, and he invited them to breakfast. And they ate with him. And then after they ate, Peter found himself alone with Jesus for the first time since the resurrection. For the first time since Jesus had been arrested and crucified. And they had that interaction that we read about earlier. Where Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter, probably just in default mode, quickly said, yes, of course I love you. You know that. And then Jesus again asked, do you love me? And Peter, well, yeah, didn't you just hear what I said? Yes, of course I love you. 
And then Jesus again asks one more time, a third time, do you love me? And this third question gave Peter pause. It made him stop. We're told that it hurt him because Jesus asked a third time. I wonder if his eyes caught a glimpse of those burning coals. And I wonder if those coals took him back to another time where he was standing by burning coals. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter was standing, warming himself by a fire. When for a second and a third time, people came up to him and said, you were with that Jesus, weren't you? And Peter said, no, I don't know the man. Three times he denied Jesus. And as he was standing by that fire of coals, he heard a rooster crow. And he was reminded that Jesus had told him that he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. So now can you imagine the lump in Peter's throat as he was here with Jesus? Do you think he realized now that Jesus was asking him three times and that he had denied Jesus three times? Do you think he realized that now or maybe later on? Whatever was going through Peter's mind, we know that he was realizing that he was unfinished, unqualified, and unworthy. He was unfinished because he was a work in progress. He, would, he was not yet what he could become. He was unqualified because he hadn't stayed strong under adverse conditions. He had to be wondering if he had disqualified himself from following Christ at all. He was unworthy because he had denied the Lord three times at the most critical moments. And he had to be questioning his own value and his own worth. He certainly thought that he wouldn't be worthy to live the adventure of faith. But just as we saw two weeks ago with another disciple, Thomas, in this case, Jesus did not give up on his disciple, Peter, because he was unworthy. He restored him in gentleness and compassion and grace. And he canceled out Peter's three denials with, with his three questions about love. He didn't say, go back and clean up your mess. Come back to me when you're worthy. He simply said, do you love me? And what this means is that we don't have to clean up our mess before we approach Jesus. In fact, we can't really come to Jesus until we admit that our lives are messy. So if your life is messy, if you feel unworthy, good news. You're ready for the adventure. If you feel that you're unfinished, unqualified, unworthy, if you struggle with addiction or self-control or baggage from your past, if you've been unfaithful, undesirable, impure, then you are not disqualified from the adventure of faith. You know, church shouldn't be a place where we come and act like we have it all together. If you look through Scripture, you find that Jesus didn't call phony people. Jesus called messy people. He called Peter while he was still messy. And he gave him what I like to call a Robert Frost moment. 
Robert Frost famously penned these words, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And then later he says, two roads diverged in a wood. And I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. This was Peter's Robert Frost moment. Two paths were ahead of him. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in the passage, Jesus didn't call Peter, Peter. He called him Simon. Now, Simon was his given name, the name his parents had given him. That's what everybody called him before he met Jesus. But somewhere along the way, Jesus gave him his new name of Peter, which means rock. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. But now, in this interaction, Jesus was calling him Simon. It was as though Peter had a choice. Would he be Simon the fisherman, or would he be Peter the shepherd for God's people? Would he live a common life on the sea, or would he live an uncommon life of caring for the spiritual needs of others? When Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, he was inviting him into that uncommon life to be a shepherd for God's people. If you feel unworthy, perhaps this is your Robert Frost moment. Perhaps it's time for you to choose the uncommon life, to go all in and live the life of adventure with Christ. I want to close this morning by going back to the empty tomb. Mark's gospel tells us that when the angel spoke to the women at the tomb, the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. He mentioned him by name. It was as though God was saying, Peter, I still believe in you. You see, God calls the unworthy by name. And he invites us into his adventure. We don't have to be mess-free. We don't have to be worthy. We don't even have to be qualified. All we have to do is listen when Jesus asks, do you love me? And respond with a resounding yes. Please bow with me. I want you just to take a minute and allow yourself to receive God's love in the silence of your heart. And having received that love, hear him ask, do you love me? And respond to that question. Lord, we thank you that you call the unworthy, the unqualified, the unfinished. Lord, help us to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. 
more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.